We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for the shares. Just thanks. Now, on to my guest for today, Ginny Saraswati, founder of Ginny Media and host of an award-winning podcast about life as a gay Sri Lankan-born woman growing up in Australia. Ginny's first entrepreneurial attempt was an art show when she was a kid when she advertised on a phone board. 20 years later, she found herself in traffic on her way to a corporate job and realized she wanted something else. Having already cultivated a strong interest and skills in media and production, she started Ginny Media, a podcast production company. Ginny leads a team of 27 freelancers from around the world to produce content for thought leaders, influencers, and more. Leading a diverse team remotely is not without its challenges, but Ginny always puts people first. She approaches her business clients in the same way by shooting for exceptional customer service and cultivating loyalty. Ginny plays the long game, focusing on retaining clients rather than just the quick sale. While she's willing to give away some services to some extent, she's also keenly aware of the importance of boundaries. Ultimately, for Ginny, being a successful entrepreneur is about self-awareness, the willingness to acknowledge mistakes, and always strive for doing your best. Now, let's get better together. Ginny Saraswati, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jari. I'm very delighted to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you, and I'm also delighted that I probably said your name right, because I have a hard time with names. I have to practice. That's sort of my job, is to practice the names and everything. And you are running this uh, great company called Ginny Media, podcast hosting slash network slash, well, whatever. It's some podcasting thingamajig. A lot of cool shows on there. Uh, A lot of great stuff going on over there. and. I, as you know, where I'm on the Blue Wire podcast network, that's a sports podcasting network, which is strange. But <laughs> since I'm an advisor uh, to them, they let Crazy Uncle Jari have a pod. <laughs> Go do your thing, right? <laughs> so it's kind of cool. I'm really fascinated by podcasting and medium and what other people are doing. But before we talk about all that and get into it, uh, why don't you uh, let us all know how you got to do what you're doing today? Absolutely, Jerry. So firstly, I have to apologize for my poor quality audio. As a podcast producer, that's probably the, the, the most terrible first impression to make 
on a listener. So I'm actually... I wasn't going to say anything, but... <laughs> no, I'm... I, 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 let's just talk about the elephant in the room before we talk about the elephant in the room, all right? It's just right there blaring at us. So I'm actually in a workspace with no microphone set up, but this is, this is I guess, pandemic life where you're kind of moving around unprepared flowing with it. So I do apologise for the poor quality audio, but how did I get to where I am today? I've got to say, Jari, I think I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, when I was six, I tried to put on my own art shows. Um, when my parents got divorced when I was uh, four, my mum moved us to a flat in Northcote. And I used to draw these just, you know, crazy art stuff on the A4 paper with the crayons that I have. And there was this big piece of foam, I remember, and my mum had this red marker. We called the textures in Australia. And I put art show like $1. It was a steal, right? Like this is Van Gogh in the making or, you know, you're Frida Kahlo in the making. I thought I was anyway. Didn't know who those people were, obviously, when I was six, but that's that's now when I look back to who I thought I was as my uh, elevated six-year-old self. So, um. I kind of felt that was the first seed of entrepreneurship and I put my foam sign right down at the bottom of our block of flats and there was this really angry neighbour that we had that was right across the road. She didn't like kids and obviously me being a full-spirited entrepreneurial kid, she was probably like, who is this? And um, so she took my foam sign and put it back right next to my door, which I was very upset about. Anyway, made no sales, no tickets at all, Jari. But, um, you know, fast forward to, I guess, 20 years later, I'm sitting in my car on my way to my last ever white collar corporate job and I'm stuck in traffic. I'm taking the freeway, like we call it the freeway in Australia because you pay tolls to get there quicker. We ain't getting there any quicker. We're stuck, stuck for a whole hour. And I'm thinking to myself, why do I want to do this every day? What is the point of traffic? Now think about it. What is the point of traffic? We just sit there waiting to all get to a place, but we're waiting. And obviously, you want to get spiritual there's lessons in waiting and patience but we're not going there today yet anyway but I think for me that was a moment like I really don't want to do this I do not see the point in traffic because my nine to five is never nine to five it's like seven to seven or seven to ten and that was kind of I guess the second wave and then the third wave I guess was um you know between six and 26 which I told you a big vast timeline I uh, came across a radio station called Joy 94.9 and I hosted my first ever morning show and I got a real passion for media and radio and that no matter what I was doing in my life, no matter what job I had, I still held on to that. And the really cool thing, Jari, was that even in between jobs, whether they were white collar or whatnot, corporate, whatever, I still held on to that. And I think after I quit my corporate job, you know, I worked at um, in aerospace construction for about just under five years my side hustle was editing podcasts because they were the new thing, right? And I kind of accidentally stumbled into being a podcast producer because, you know, I hosted my own podcast. I was editing other people's. I'm like, oh, this is kind of what I'm doing. And, you know, I fell in love with New York City and then I fell in love with a New Yorker. So I was getting clients from New York City. So it made sense for me to completely move over. So we're coming to the end of our fourth year um, which has been absolutely amazing. Um, we've grown and, you know, there's always a new lesson each year and always a new, I guess, growth that you've got to go through. So, yeah, that's a very long-winded way of telling you where I got, where I am. No, it's, it's always great to hear the origin story, as I'd like to say, <laughs> because a lot of times, you know, people kind of zig and zag, stumble into things. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you never really start out in life where you're going to end up. I mean, very rarely. I mean, maybe if you're rich and you're just like, I'm just bored and can do whatever I want, but a lot of us aren't that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us don't, don't get yeah. there at least quickly enough sometimes. But well, yeah. <laughs> or, or ever as entrepreneurs, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. we don't really do the gig to get rich. We do the gig to build this independent freedom or independent exactly. life that completes us. This exactly. freedom piece is huge component of that. So, Wow. So like all good stories, it starts with, I met a boy. <laughs> well, actually, in my case, is I met a girl. <laughs> oh, well, even better. Wow, yes, that's awesome. Yes, I love this, it. It's a Disney movie that hasn't been written yet, but I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Love is one of those things where, you know, I just wish there was more love in the world for lots of things. That's, 100%. You know, 100%. Lots, of, lots of challenging times ahead, and we just need to kind of feel like we're all connected, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you like, what kind of shows do you look for on your network? I mean, I've perused some of them and they're, they're all like, look really cool. It's just, is there a theme to it or is it more, 
curated by like what you're interested in or uh, no, like random? Actually, well, we're not entirely, I wouldn't call, technically call us a network. Like oh, we, okay. I would technically call us a podcast production service or we call ourselves your okay. podcast producers, right? Producers, but okay. What has happened is what is interestingly enough, we would, I was just talking about this today with in a leadership meeting with my three leaders and one of them, we were talking about, look, why have we grown the way that we have? And it's fascinating to me that we have not spent a single dollar in digital advertising. The bulk of our business has been word of mouth. Um, that is because we are very, very focused on striving for exceptional customer service. Because I think for me, that is the crux of anything to any successful business, like how you value the person who actually puts food on the table. And that is something that we we talk about at my level, at my team's level, like my leader's level. And, you know, every level of the company is that is where we strive for. Because if you strive for the exceptional and you miss it, you'll get above average, which is still a mile that's not that crowded. So, you know, I guess for us, in terms of shows that we pick, there is a theme. Like you will see in our shows, we've got a bulk of entrepreneurs. Um, we've got spiritual podcasts. We've also got some pretty, um, really, really cool corporates, some influencers, um, some iconic brands that we have the pleasure of working with, you know, Architectural Digest, Allure. Um, you know, they're, they're brands that, you know, we could only dream of working with, which we have the pleasure of doing. So um, that's kind of what we do. So the theme is, I guess, you know, people who want to really tell a story, make an impact and really make a difference in the world, which I would say uh, is a core underlying theme of all of our shows. Yeah. So the big idea would be this radical, great customer service company that's looking for probably like-minded folks and brands to sort of go on the journey with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Well, you know, what's interesting is that you have like this customer service approach because, you know, a lot of companies that I work with in the SaaS tech space, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, well, actually I don't work with a lot of uh, tech bro brands because I'd like to work more with healthcare, digital health. So to to help people, but one of the key I think success factors I've seen in those brands is this customer service focus. Customer service for whatever reason is like the most neglected group in a company, yet it's the most powerful to move the needle to what I like to call like advocating for your brand. 100%. And it's just so fascinating that why why do you think no one pays attention to it? I mean, you do and well <laughs> and you and you hit on the secret sauce, I think. Especially yeah. in a services-based business like you have where like we are building this creative endeavor and, you know, creatives are a little finicky. They're artistic. You know, they're all like, they're like authors. They're just like, oh, everything <laughs> is like a drama. You know, I'm always like, you know, drama free way to be. No, no, we need to make sure the font's right. You're like, ah, <laughs> how do you, how did you like stumble? Did you stumble onto this philosophy or at during your corporate gigs, you realize this, how did it, how did customer service and customer focus be like a pillar of what you guys do? I think it's a number of things. For me, I know as a consumer, um, I'm a very loyal consumer, especially like the mum and pop shop that I go to almost the area that I live in now um, in New York, it's, it's right near Long Island city. Um, the cafe that I go to, I go there religiously every day because the exceptional customer service I get, I cannot get anywhere else that I've experienced it. I'm sure I will if I give it a chance, but I don't want to. That's the other thing. Like I don't want to check out another place because they're so good to me to the point where I think I think where um, for me, I'm also like, I don't want to move because I love that cafe and I love coffee so much. I'm like, I'm just going to stay because otherwise I'll have to travel 20 minutes just to get to this cafe. But the thing is that kind of loyalty, if you reverse engineer it, I think where businesses and business leaders make the mistake of is they think about the immediate transaction. They don't think about the future repeat transactions. And even with my team, like I say to my team too, like when I say to a client, yep, this call is on the house or we'll do this for you on the house. I don't make money. My team member gets paid. I still have to pay my team member for executing the work. But I'm thinking about how much ease have I given that person? How much peace of mind? I can't put a dollar value on that. They probably can't put a dollar value on that. But what will happen is there is this level of trust, reliability, and like, you know, we can really, you know, we can really trust that Ginny Media has got me. 
Like they can take care of this issue. They can solve it for me so I can keep doing my thing. That's what the customer wants. I don't think a customer ever calls asking for help, wanting to take away money. They actually want help. So care, (laughs) care enough to help them. It sounds so simple, but I guess when people are caught up in the everyday minutia of things, they forget that. So I always look for what is the... I mean, I think Gary Vee calls it winning your wallet for life as opposed to the immediate transaction. And I do really believe that. I really think about, hey, I'm thinking beyond this just single transaction right here that's happening or that this single kind of investment, whether it be time or money or whatever, I'm thinking like long term. And even if this client ends up leaving us tomorrow, the word of mouth, which has been the key to the success and growth of Ginny Media, yeah. when they'll tell someone, hey, there's this great producer. We had someone's therapist recommend our services to them and I'm like <laughs> like I don't even know who this person is but it's that's good great. thing I find that hilarious you know yeah that's um, awesome. and also like really comforting that all okay with that good that therapist recommend this okay great this is awesome <laughs> yeah 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 no I mean it's a fascinating thing like you're right and it's not, it doesn't seem like it's that hard to do yet it's hard to do yeah yeah because sometimes you know it depends on the both person's mindsets and the energy in the room of and of course, with the, the ethos of the company, but you always see, well, there was a book about this. There was the takers, the givers, and the kind of hybrid. And I don't remember the name of this book, but I, I read a couple of, it was a couple of years ago, and it was about how to be successful being a nice, quote unquote, nice person, right? Because, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm a nice person sometimes, get taken advantage of. It's a lot of people do that have yeah. the kind of that ethos of giving. Um, and people take advantage, the takers take advantage of that. and. I'm curious how you manage that because I know from what I do, I have had clients that have not, it's been like, it's has been a struggle to try to help them because it was this transactional nature of well, what have you done for me lately? And you're kind of like, well, hold on. Like you yeah. tell me what to do. We, huh? What? And and you know, it's just like, I'm getting, I want, I want the freebie. Like, Yeah. You know, what, what, how does it, how do you handle that? That's a great question, Jari, because it is like what you said. I naturally, I'd like to consider myself a nice lady who likes to help and give first and give value before I ask or take anything, quote unquote, take anything. I think for me, this is also, you know, back to the journey of being an entrepreneur, right? I feel it is probably one of the most profound self awareness, discovery journeys that you have to go on. If you have a business, if you want to grow it, if you want to be a great leader, if you want to show up for your team, your businesses, your stakeholders, your partner, whoever it might be, it's a constant internal journey. And for me, that, because I'm, I, I experienced that too, especially at the start, because I was yes to everything. When you're starting your business, you just want to say yes to everything, right? You don't want to let the few clients that you have down. But it's also a, a matter of uh, checking in with yourself about your boundaries, Right. So for me, I have a rule like in my head. And the hardest rule for me is when you make a boundary with yourself, which is really what boundaries are. Boundaries are an agreement between you and yourself. But we think boundaries are agreement between me and another person. We can't control another person and what their expectations are. We don't know inherently what they're going to do, how they're going to react. We can internally tune into ourselves and know what we're going to do and how we're going to react. So I say to myself, if someone is coming to me wanting my time and is, is also expecting not to pay for it over a set amount of time, if I'm allowing that, I'm also co-creating that habit in them, right? It's me contributing to that behavior. This is also where I have to have a boundary saying, you know, I normally don't do this, but I'm okay to do this. However, up until this point, I will have to start to charge you. So it is that agreement that I make with myself that I have to hold myself to, because if I don't, and this is proven, tried and true, that's when the resentment builds and that's when the relationship becomes murky and you get resentful and the other person Mm -hmm. gets entitled or you perceive them to be entitled when they're just like, hey, I'm just being how I've always been, you know? (sighs) (laughs) You got a story to share there, Jerry? I have a lot of stories to share about that. Well, what one because one of my problems is I have too much empathy, and people yeah, are like, "Well, empathy is a good thing," and I go, "It is." And I've had to learn yeah. through lots of therapy and lots of like getting hit in the head with a brick that there is a difference between the empathy and compassion for which you have with people. So the traditional empath, quote unquote, 
always is like feels too much of the other person. But the definition of empathy is empathy for the entire situation, including yourself. Yeah. And I've have a problem with this. I, I struggle with this mightily, and I'm working my way through it. And it's been a hard thing because I have had to change my empathy mindset to my compassion mindset. Mm. And this seems all woo woo and like, Jari, what are you smoking? Have you been ripping the bong again? No, I haven't been ripping <laughs> the bong again. I don't even drink anymore. It's been you know three years since I stopped. I don't drink, right? There's another story behind that. But with freelancers, with service providers, the empathy trap is a real thing and it really gets, it can, it can, it can crush you. And I've, I've had this crush me before. That's why I'm speaking from experience. And when I, but when I switched from empathy to compassion, because compassion can make, can, you can take action with compassion. You can't take action with empathy. And the reason is empathy is more like feeling this thing. Compassion's like, I feel you. Now, what are we going to do about it? Mm. And a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of, especially service providers and freelancers, like have that same exact problem. Like people, the people that want a deal or for free will suck you dry. Right. And so Tim Grawl, this guy, he's a, he's a guy over at the story, uh, story grid. He had a rule. He's like, it's free or full price. I only have two prices. And I'm like, nice. Every time I've broken that rule, I've had that same exact experience. I've felt resentful, not appreciated. What the heck am I doing this for? You're not committed. You want all these things that don't matter. And it's just like, yeah, like as soon as you get past that, then that's from the empathy to the compassion, right? Empathy is, oh, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, you. oh yeah, you're a struggling startup. You don't have any money. Oh, I'm just a poor author, but I need your rock star. You're like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> right. I mean, I, I could, you can't see that we're like, she's just like, Oh yeah, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just nodding. Like I totally, yeah. Get, like get that. Totally right? <laughs> but then switch it to compassion and it's like, Oh yeah, I feel you, but that's not good for me. Yeah. In order for me to do that is taking a long time and a lot of therapy. <laughs> this is exactly what I mean. That yeah, just right. what you just explained seems so simple, right? It's mm-hmm. a literally a decision you have to make within a matter of seconds to be like, all right, we got to switch. But the amount of time in therapy that you probably would have gone through in that, the amount of trial and error, the amount of unloading, unpacking, thinking about it, analyzing it, overthinking it, it takes time. That's why I say entrepreneurship is just such I mean, it is a, a permanent therapy. It is an ongoing daily therapy where you have to evaluate yourselves, your wins, your losses. Where did you make poor choices? Where did you make good choices? Where could have you made better choices? It is just this perpetual journey of discovery. It's rewarding, but it's not always the easiest. It's not the easiest. Let's just be frank there. It's not the easiest journey at all no, um, because you're so. banking on yourself. And when you bank on yourself 100%, you have to focus everything on yourself. The buck stops at you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's no one. There's like, no. Oh, there's no one behind me (laughs) to take the bullet. I can't yell at my boss, like, for doing something wrong. I can't believe, well, my boss is a dickhead. Sorry for swearing. I am the dickhead, if that's, you know? No, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, I mean, it's it's true. I mean, I think that's the reason why, like, the entrepreneur game is not for everyone, you know? It's not so much that, that the entrepreneurs, like, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, you know, the kind of the, Fame, fortune, and prestige, external, get rich, blah, blah. The people that want it for that, they don't last long. Because those fleeting things, I mean, how many times have you been like, if you're anything like what my experience has been, you're sitting down going, oh, I don't know if I can make payroll today. Or, God, you know, I really want to save the money cleaning the office. So maybe I'll just do it myself. (laughs) When people went to offices, people don't go to offices, but... Yeah. I'm just curious in terms of how, how do you, you know, how do you push all of this sort of good? I mean, it's a great ethos that you have, like a customer service focus. We're all about, you know, building better, you know, brands for our clients and like really doing good, uh, good work and like customer service focus. How does that ripple down to your team and, and, and how, how big a team do you have? I have 27 people in 14 countries around the world. Wow. So we have a very diverse team who speak a lot of wow. different languages. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Man. Well, how do, <laughs> yeah. So how do you how do you diffuse that culture among so many different 
areas and people. I mean, that's like yeah. the sun never sets on the yeah. Ginny Media Empire, it seems. <laughs> no, no, we're actually, yeah, given the time zones, we, we actually use that to our advantage because everybody's up when somebody's asleep or somebody's, you know, kind of heading off to bed and hands it over to somebody else. How do I trickle that down? It's interesting, um, Jerry, when I was looking at what we do, we, we produce podcasts or we're building media companies or content for thought leaders, brands, businesses, entrepreneurs. And I was thinking, ultimately, what are we, what are we creating? So we're creating content that ultimately will connect first and foremost, will, um, you know, empower, it will hit someone in the eyes or the, and then it'll go through all their ears. It'll go into their mind, then into their heart, and that's the impact. So what is that? That really is the cycle of connection, right, when you think of it. Whatever, it, whether it be a person, a piece of content, words, stories, visuals, they get through the ears to the mind to the heart, right? That's where the impact happens. So I think about human beings. We all want to connect. That's just an innate nature of ourselves, right? So when you're thinking of putting that to a work situation, no matter what country you're from, no matter what language you speak, that's what you want too. You want that form of connection. You want to feel like you belong, that you're a part of something. So something we have at Ginny Media, all of us are freelancers, right? All, all, all my team members are freelancers. I have specifically designed it that way. Coming up to the end of year four, year five, things may have to change, but I'm thinking of things of, okay, what do I value and what does this company value? So we value freedom. We value um, joy. We value growth. Um, we value uh, community. So these are things that we naturally over time, even though we weren't conscious of it, it's, these were the values that we were living out. And I think for me, the important thing was for me to apply what I do to my customers, to my team. Like if I say to my team, customer first, and I'm always trying to rip off a customer, it's monkey. It's going to be monkey say monkey do. They're going to feel like, oh, she told us one thing and do another, did another. Yeah, yeah. I also have to hold myself accountable to things. If I say I'm going to get this done and I don't, I've got to say, hey, I didn't get this done. That's on me. Like there's really, again, this compass of I've really got to hold myself accountable to get stuff done. I've got to really show up the way that I'm expecting others to show up. I've got to lead by example. And when I fail to do that, that is when I've got to put my hand up and be accountable and hope that my team gives me some grace, which they always do, which I will then return the favor when they are you know, struggling to complete tasks on time. But I think for me, like, it's really, when they say everything comes from the top, it's so true. Like if I say to my team, especially a virtual team, and we were working remote well before the pandemic hit, yeah. is that I? it's my responsibility as a leader to ensure that my team are feeling physically and emotionally safe. Because they're remote, I can't really do much about the physically safe, but I can do stuff about feeling emotionally safe. May not always get it right, but the intention is there. So if, if a team member is to come to me saying, I'm not comfortable editing this podcast or I'm not comfortable reading or writing for this podcast because they're um, discriminatory, they're this and that. Oh, yeah. I've got to back them up because I don't stand for that as a person. I can't just say, hey, I'm going to let this go because I'm going to let it go. For it to escalate to me means it's pretty powerful. So if it's anti-LGBT, being someone from the LGBT community, having team members who are from the LGBT community, if I let that slide, yeah. What message is that sending to my team? Exactly. What message is that sending about to everybody about my beliefs? Oh, I don't care. I'll let our community take one for like a few hundred dollars. Yeah. I, when that happened, had to tell my client, listen, I'm going to refund you your money. You're going to need to either self-produce this, but please take my name off it. I cannot do it. It's things like that, little micro decisions that I have to make, Jari, that really, I think, affect the overall impact. And like I said, I don't always get it right, but I'm probably the first person to say, hey, I'm not getting this right. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a great leadership lesson. I think if, yeah. I think if leaders did just only just that, did that thing, that one thing, Hey, I yeah. tried, I'm trying. If I get it wrong, I admit I'm wrong. I move on. Yep. The world would be a better place. I've seen it so many times yeah. where the ego gets in the way and they're like, I can't look like I'm a weakling. And I'm like, well, I think you're going to look like an ass anyway, because there's got to be, there's, there's some trade-off to that. And I think um, the, and I'm not saying that there are days where I'm extra sensitive, where my ego may show up more than I like it to. But again, it's about 
allowing, if I can allow my employees a space to do that or my team the space to do that, it's okay for me to do it as well. Well, when I say okay for me to do it in the sense of if I make a mistake, hey, it's on me. I'll be the first to say it. And that's why I empower my, we have a weekly team meeting every Monday where we all connect and we go through everything that's coming up for the week. We also have a meeting called Weekly Wins and Oops, where we actually encourage people to go, actually, I messed up here. This is what I've learned from it. Because, you know, it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. And um, yeah, and I also want to empower my team to be courageous enough to make those calls. So what, you make a mistake, let's pick up and keep going. You know, that's that's also what I want to do. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of times at the top, the leader, right? They, I call it the leadership bubble. Yeah. The higher you go in an organization, the more the bubble is around you. And you have to, I think every level is an order of magnitude higher to actually get the truth. And you yeah. see this in big corporations because like the, even though the CEO may be like, I want people that are going to tell me the truth. The behavior is not normally that way because People game, right, how to escalate that. So you end up with a bunch of yes people yeah. around you that insulate you and put you in the bubble. So you never, you absolutely never know what's, what the truth is. And then the other thing I think is always fascinating is that uh, managers think that they can have any, have control. Yeah. As a manager, leader, you have no control. Zero. Your only thing is influence and the way you communicate what you want to have done. Hundred percent, and 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 that's even harder remotely. But I I love what you said about I'm the first one to say I've screwed up because that behavior. The other thing that's interesting is that what you say as a leader, no matter how trivial, gets amplified twenty x. And so if you like in the passing say some comment, that's going to ruin someone's day, even though you didn't mean it. Yeah. And the whole like coming from it from a, I don't know the word, but it seems like it's like, a, I mean, there's an ethos to it. There's an ethic to it, but I think it's more, it is a compassion thing because, you know, we all don't know what we don't know. And exactly. when the leader is compassionate that way, I, you know, I just think it makes the world better. I mean, it clearly makes the company better. And if the company's better and the people are better, then hopefully the world will be better. So, yeah, you know, you mentioned that you had a couple of situations, or at least one situation where there was a client who had this thing that you were just not cool with. Um, how hard is that to deal with? I mean, you know, women entrepreneurs are rare. Yes. Uh, women LGBT entrepreneurs <laughs> are probably even rarer. Yep. Women LGBT minority women. <laughs> <laughs> Let's so, keep going. Let's keep going. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, so you could say you're the, you're like the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. So you're yeah. a unicorn by definition, but yeah. how has that been? I mean, have you had to, you know, build in the team, building the culture, but I mean, have you had to have, take any investment or has it been bootstrapped? Like building this, you know, to a relatively successful, you know, business, how, how was that journey? How did that kind of fit in? Cause my guess is, I mean, there's a lot more pressure on someone like you that's, <laughs> you know, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of 1%, yeah. as opposed to someone like me, who, <laughs> right, tall white guy with a beard, like, we're everywhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd be, it's true. I mean, yeah. it's silly. That's why these, these distinct voices and different voices are really, really powerful. So t- tell me a little bit about that. Well, firstly, I think given that, you, you know, you kind of, nailed that for me, Jerry, being the 1%. The, I, I didn't actually never saw myself as the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. I did see myself as a very unique character because, you know, being a Sri Lankan, Sri Lankan born, Australian raised, gay um, child who's running a business, you know, it, it's it's different. Um, it definitely, we definitely, I definitely am. I haven't met many people like me in my situation. Um, however, when you say that to like, that's so much diversity in me. So, of course, that's going to come out in my business. Like I am going to make sure that my, not make sure, but I don't even know if make sure is a word, whether it be conscious or unconscious, that is going to be a big part of my team. And that's why it's no coincidence when I look at it, I'm like, oh, 14 countries. Well, you know, we're going to be a diverse bunch because I'm a diverse bunch in one womanly body, right? And I think um, when I started this, it was completely self-funded. I didn't have, 
I don't have any investors. I own it. I fund it. I um, I run it in a way. And because I own it and fund it, I'm also aware I won't be bringing in the revenue at the speed at someone who has a seed round funding or angel investors would. I have been offered angel investing and seed funding, but I declined for the reason of I did my focus on building the Ginny Media culture remotely was my focus because the more that my team can focus on work and working happily and working safely and working fulfillingly, the less bullshit they get caught up in, right? That's the culture that I want to create remotely. It's it's tricky to do it remotely because we're not in the same cubicle. But right. things like you said, if I say something, it could impact some of the rest of the day. So I want to make sure that the environment, the community is there. And the pressure for me, I find, is not necessarily financially. I find when I focus on just the things that I need to do that I'm good at, which is building relationships, building connection, which is where I'm taking myself to to this point. Everything else I'm outsourcing because I can do it, but it's not the best use of my time. Right now, when I wake up in the morning, I don't have any children yet, but I think I have 26, 27 children to feed. Right. I do. Yep. Like, you know, my yeah. auntie's like, oh, you don't have kids yet. You know what is? I worry about my children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I worry about how they're going to get paid. And, yeah. you know, these clients that I'm bringing in, the growth that I do, like the connections that I make, it's a part of that. So for me, I feel like in terms of pressure, it's more so it comes back to me. Like, what is this pressure causing me? Is it actually what am I paying an emotional tax on it? That's something, a term that I coined this year. I'm sure it was coined hmm. before, but I'll just coin it now. Uh, you own I it. I coined yeah, this good. year because there's a lot of mental tax that we pay that we're actually not aware of. Like, am I really, I'm focusing on this one person or this one partnership, which is really draining. So it may not be a financial drain, but it is a drain of my time. I can't get my time back. My money will stay in my bank account when I'm gone. And whoever wants to take it will take it. I can't do anything about it because I'm not here. But my time, I'm not going to get that back. So that's been something for me that I've really thought about this year. And I guess for me, um, the biggest pressure for me is how to be 100% human in front of my team. This year, I I lost my mother, which which has been to date the hardest thing I've gone through because... During a time of COVID, she's she was overseas back in Australia. I had to quarantine for 14 days. I was there when she passed. But I could, the first time in my business, I couldn't physically be in front of my computer or my screen. I had to literally say to my team, I can't. You guys need to take care of this. And they all did. They all stepped up. Um, and it allowed them to make decisions for themselves without relying on me. And it was a big growth for us, as scary as it was on all fronts. It was a big growth factor so for me that's been the biggest challenge like how do I not feel so bad in taking time away from me when I need to that's a great great comment a lot of entrepreneurs don't take the me time yeah to actually make sure that they're taking care of themselves and that care that self-care I always like to say I mean this analogy people use like you got to put your your oxygen mask on before you can help others and it seems selfish but it's not selfish because if you are not, if you are not okay, that is going to ripple through. And it's so wonderful in one sense that when you did have this crisis, your team could take over. That is the true sense of a leader. And I think it's a testament to the culture you built to say like, it's not about me. It's about us. And, you know, losing a loved one. I lost my wife, Jane to leukemia four and a half years ago. I'm so it's horrible. Sorry. Yeah. It's, you know, even you're with your mom too. What was your mom's name? Mary Padma. Mary Padma Lata. There you go. To get Sri Lankan or Aussie, you can pick whichever one. <laughs> Mary. And then, yeah. and, and, and was, was she an entrepreneur too? Or what? I mean, was no, she, what, she, what was she all about? She, it's a, like, if she was, if she was still around, I would get her to do my books. That lady, she was a whiz in numbers. Like she was a bank manager, a math teacher. So numbers were a thing. I can do numbers enough to obviously keep a business afloat for four years and and not sink the ship and, and, you know, live comfortably. But like that's where the gene stops. (laughs) That's it. That's all you're getting from me. I won't. My mother never used a calculator. I remember. Really? When she was adding up the calculator, she'd remember all the numbers like if you wow. know if a jelly was a dollar 49 she'd remember every single number and she just added up like it was nothing 
And she had this thing with numbers. Like if, if when's your birthday, Jari? Uh, February 14th. Okay. Valentine's Day. She would, right. every time she'd see the number 14, she'd send you a prayer, right? Aww. Every time she'd see the number 14, she'd think of you. Aww. And on February 14th, you would probably get, what's your favorite meal? My favorite meal? Yeah. I like Mediterranean food. So like. Okay. She would cook you something Mediterranean. Even <laughs> on the jam, she right. would ask someone Aww. Mediterranean that she knew or someone, you know, of that region and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to make that for Jari on the 14th of February because that's Aww. his birthday. That's, That's so just, sweet. Yeah. So she, she wasn't an entrepreneur. She was a, a she actually, when she, when we moved to Australia, she um just, she, she was a house, she looked after us. So she didn't actually work. Um, but I'm so grateful that she did because there's so many things and so much delicious food I got to eat. as a <laughs> <laughs> What's, what's your favorite dish from your mom? Tell, tell us oh, what the favorite dish wow. is. This, this is hot. Uh, she had an amazing um, egg curry. She made lentil curry. She made amazing hoppers, which is like this Sri Lankan crispy pancake. She mm. made milk rice, chicken curry, mm-hmm. cutlet. Like she was like, I know I'm biased because she's my mom, but out of her 10 siblings, I would say she's the best cook to the point where like her, even her siblings would be like, oh, I'm in the area. <laughs> oh, really? You live on the other side of the city? <laughs> in the area. Yeah, oh, it's only a five hour trip. Not a problem. I'm in the area. Just, come on in. Oh, what are you cooking for dinner? Exactly. Oh, that's great. That's great. It just sucks. Yeah, yeah it, it does suck. But she has also taught me too that, you know, it's not about how much, what is she, the biggest lesson she taught me was it's not about how much you give, but what you can give with what you have. So wow. I am looking at philanthropic um, things to do in year five, mm. a bit more of a focus of how I can give back. Yeah. Um, and I do want to do that back to my motherland of Sri Lanka in some way. So I try to give what I can during this time, but I want to be a bit more intentional about it and actually put it into some financial planning. So see, if my mother was here, she'd plan this out for me and be like, you got to do this without using a calculator. I'd be on my iPhone still trying to figure it out. <laughs> be like, mama, can you write this down? I don't think I'll remember exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's just, it's so interesting because, you know, when you lose someone you love, the world becomes cloudy and a little bit weird. And then, and then most people, depending on how you take it, there's a clarity. Yeah. Or there's just this chaos. And for me, when Jane died, her name was Jane. I talk about her all the time. The clarity was just absolutely crystal clear. Yeah. Um, And I like now every day is a gift. I'm like, Oh, got a day. How am I going to use today? And I try to not like, be around people that are negative. Like, you know, there's, oh, you're always going to find the, the, the double a hole folk that are like, <laughs> oh, God, really? Like, do you just get pleasure out of like giving me a hard time or getting a stupid yeah. deal or making me feel bad because you know that I actually give a shit and you don't give a shit. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I'm working on that. It's hard to do, but I'm working on that. <laughs> but, but the clarity of, and I, I wish, I wish people could understand this without having to go through the loss because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to do this when I retire. I am going to do this when this. I am da 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 da. And I mean, that's why entrepreneurs are like, I'm doing this now. This is what I am. And yeah. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned a lot about, you know, philanthropic or you're trying in the year five to be philanthropic. And you also uh, brought up a couple of times the safety of your team. Um, and a lot of them are LGBTQ. Sorry, I, I, messed, up. <laughs> I messed that up sometimes. Um, are you, what are your thoughts on that philanthropic kind of track? Because I mean, of course, Sri Lanka, you have a connection there. Um, But I'm always curious because I've always found that leaders like you that lead with the heart in one sense, with the compassion for the team, want to build a culture of inclusivity. I mean, like all the things, you know, that the podcast is about, you know, when they do their philanthropic stuff, it's, I'm just curious what the track you take. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I think more people should do it. Honestly, I think more people should actually think and plan. How am I going to build my business and then give back? Cause I think you got to give back. You learned something, you know, something you went down to the battle, the dragon, and you came back with a pot of gold. You better share it. I'm sorry. That's just me. You may not want to do that, but I want you to share. So, well, yeah, share. I mean- 
I, I wish I wish all entrepreneurs were like that, right? You get to year five, like, what can I do with this to do that? But um, you know, some people may not be do that. And I, I try not to judge. I don't know people's, you know, situations, mm-hmm. where they came from, what their backgrounds were. So if they want to, great. If not, none of my business is not my money. I can't do much about it other than what can I do about it, really, Jerry? Um, but for me, it's important because um I think there is an element of good karma in things. I do believe in that. So when you do give with the right intention, because the intention part is really important too. I just want to make that really clear too, giving with the right intention and to know that it could possibly impact someone, it could change someone even for a second a day, a month. That for me is enough. And that is sometimes, you know, when I when we do that, when we when we start our philanthropic ventures and we, we give things away, all that kind of thing, people are like, but aren't you worried about where the money's going to go? I have no skepticism around that because that's my intention is I hope this makes a difference and I'm trusting it will go somewhere, right? That is not my karma to get involved with. So I think it's it's about being intentional. And I think it's also about, you know, it's Ultimately, it's up to you and what you want to do with it, okay? Some people want to leave a legacy. Some people want to leave behind fortunes for their family. Again, up to them. I can't judge it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's always this fascinating trade-off between the, you know, the fame, fortune, and prestige, the fleeting stuff, the fleeting, the stuff that can go away in a second, and the real stuff that really completes us, the, the journey that we're on and, and trying to do good in the world. It's just interesting because it's such a you know i talked to lots of entrepreneurs so i get different takes on it and, and sometimes you can just sense that like are you in this for the right reason are you really in it for the right reason have you really suffered enough to to be to have the honor of doing what we do um so it's an honor right it's an honor yeah. it is or, or it, like acceptance whichever way you look at it there's <laughs> honor in it right there's honor yeah, in the there's system. there is definitely honor in it honor in it so um, so for the next generation of entrepreneur, what, if they're thinking about doing the gig, right, what mm-hmm. questions do you think that they should ask themselves to kind of see if this is the right gig for them? Ooh, I, I like this question because I wish I had these set of questions before I started Ginny Media. I would say, how self-aware are you ready to be? How honest with yourself are you ready to be? Um how honest and vulnerable are you willing to be around people who rely on you and depend on you and, you know, expect you to show up? Um, I would say a lot of it starts with self. How much are you willing to work on yourself and put in the hard work and the time and, and know that it's not always going to be linear? Um, and how how much will your character show up in the face of adversity? I would say those are the questions I'd, I'd say. And, like, I say that, and if I probably got that, I'm kind of grateful I didn't get that 15 years ago. I'd be like, hell no. I'm staying in my in my car at traffic at 8:30 a.m. I'm good. <laughs> I'll stay at my corporate job. I'm good. You're like, yeah. If I knew what I knew today, would I actually do this gig? Hmm, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Well, I mean, then people can make their own choices. But those are really great questions. And Jenny, just been great to have you on the show. You know, back at you, Jari. Thank you for cool. your insightful questions. It's been wow. wonderful. Yes, thank you so much. And you know, sorry about your mom, but thank you. I her, her legacy lives on in you. And if I'm sure she's proud of you in so many ways that you'll never know. And I know, at least for me, you know, when I think about Jane and how I want to live my life, I you know, I want her to be proud of me, but I also want to live a life that is some means something and is joy and find, you know, I found love again with with Minerva, my fiance now. So congratulations. You know, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That, that is the thing that's like the lesson of all of this is that you will, if you work on it, good things will happen as time goes on, even in the face of a, just a tremendous loss. And I think we owe it to those that love us to continue that on. And you're certainly doing that and just all the luck to you. Super thank cool. You, what you're doing. I love your energy and <laughs> Like I said, you're the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. I will put that on my business card now. You should. You absolutely yeah. should. And the point one zero is I can't do that. See, I told you about my math. I told you. Terrible. Hey, Mary, we need your help with the math. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, my God, you can't do that. You should have added it to you. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. Stay, stay safe. Stay in touch.
You too, Jerry. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ginny, for your time as well. That was such a great interview. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and also getting to know you. So wonderful. As promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Ginny. Not surprisingly, Ginny thinks self-awareness is critical for anyone going down the entrepreneurial road, which she calls a journey of profound self-discovery. And I totally agree with her. It is one of the gigs, jobs, careers, vocations, or whatever, where, yeah, got to do a lot of soul searching, I'd say. So, um, yeah, I mean, great advice on that. Ginny's philosophy is to shoot for exceptional, because even if you fall short, you're still going to be doing better than most people. And as I think most of you know, I've always been very keenly aware of the customer service aspect of business. I actually think it's not used as much to great effect, especially with product and services companies. So this one really resonates with me as well. And of course, you got to have your boundaries and stuff like that, as you mentioned before. Success is a long game. In order to cultivate a strong customer relationship and loyalty, be helpful and don't focus on just the immediate gain. Yes, 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 and yes. The entrepreneur journey is the long game. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. I think we all know that by now, or you've heard me say that so many times, you're probably sick of it. But yes, make sure you have this long-term growth potential in mind when you go after clients or business. It's just a better way to, to go, and it'll actually be a lot less frustrating. So there you have it. Those are the actionable insights that I learned from the interview. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.